Son, where'd you find this? All right, Jersey Judah, Red Pill Party Podcast. Um, <laughs> as usual, it seems that every weekend when I make the decision to do some episodes to get some content out for the weekend, there's always something that pops up, always a distraction, something that always prevents me from doing what I need to do, which for me, it's the podcast, just like I need to find my fucking lighter, <laughs> I need my lighter, okay, I got it, good, alright man, so, you probably hear my fucking turn signal, <laughs> I'm back, Jersey Judah, Red Pill Party Podcast, you know what, I've been talking about this at the end of the week. And since Friday came and went, uh, I wasn't able to really push it together the way that I wanted to. I was going to talk about what I'm talking about tonight, being The Sopranos. Why I am such a huge fan of The Sopranos. What turned me on to The Sopranos. So in other words, this is a non-Red Pill related topic. I've told a lot of the people, a lot of the listeners, we're going to be going a different route. We're still going to keep it real with the red pill. But at this point, it's really about doing different things, talking about different issues and different topics. What better way to do so than by talking about one of my favorite television series of all time now let me give you guys a little update i spent my saturday purchasing this vehicle that i'm currently in yes i did purchase a vehicle yes indeed This is uh, good times for me. This is a very clean uh, 2011 Ford Fusion. Um, goodbye. I had to stop procrastinating and figure, fuck, I need a car to go forward. So, woke up. Went to a dealership. <laughs> I didn't take too long. It's like, uh, I think I mentioned this with men and we're going to be recording for a good period of time. I am no longer restricted from having to be at work or be home. I got nearly a full tank of gas. So I want to drive around and get a podcast out of the way. Um, yeah, I wanted to get a vehicle. So I was set and I'm supposed to be starting this job on the 26th I did a lot of paperwork Uh, I had to get my archive to get my fingerprints because I've had my fingerprint done uh, a year ago recently so all I would have to do is 
printout and archive, which I already did. I paid about 25 bucks to do so. And so all I have to do is drop that off into this new building I'll be working in. Then I have to get a checkup and I just wanted to make sure that if I was going to go anywhere and do anything going forward, that it would be in my own shit. Like it won't be in um, it won't be in a car. I won't have to get constantly keep using my family's vehicle to get back and forth. So this is my little celebration episode. Talking about the Sopranos. Now I've talked about the many saints of Newark. I will refer it or I will um I will make reference of it, but I will not be talking about it much in detail. I don't think the movie in all actuality has much to really talk about. But the Sopranos baby. The pilot I believe was released 1999, but most of the show in its beginnings was actually viewed far back as 1996. Um, the Sopranos can be looked at as a show about multiple things. Now, from a traditional mob movie type of way, It showcases life as a member of the crime family. Not life as a mob boss, because you got to remember with season one, Tony is not the boss of the family. He is simply a captain. He is a well-known captain, and his, his crew are known for being, you know, head guys, top earners in the Jersey uh, faction. But beyond that, it's about a lot of things. Of course, Tony Soprano starting to show off in the psychiatrist, Dr. Melfi's office. So you have your lead character being Tony Soprano, a mafia guy, right? A mafioso, a Costa Nostra type of guy. But you have just a family man with problems. Family man with problems stemming from his mother. The absence of his father, the effect that it had on him coming up and becoming who he was. And one of my first references in the many saints of New York or Nork, excuse me. He finds his role models and mob type of guys like his father. So he's really just following the path of people around him instead of really making his own path. And within the many saints of Newark, you kind of see him trying to break away by focusing on football. And Junior, which we'll we'll talk about him. We'll talk about him probably in one whole episode. I think Junior is one of the the more intriguing characters of the show, especially after seeing the movie, because you see what Junior became or how Junior became the way that he was. Furthermore, this show is going to have a lot of spoilers or this review or this breakdown or whatever I'm going to be doing going forward with this show is going to be a lot of spoilers. 
But luckily for us today, 2021, you can view all these episodes back to back. And trust me, this is one of the shows you want to see back to back. Now, the show is essentially about family. Now, The Sopranos happens to be Tony's last name, but The Sopranos happens to be the crew that Tony leads later on. So it starts off, and I love the, I love the way that they did it. It starts off in season one with Tony fearing that he's going to lose his family, not his crime family, but his actual family. And the breakdown of him fainting or having panic attacks, which was something, it wasn't that it was unknown. It was just something that wasn't really talked about, especially in the late 90s going on to the 2000s. In fact, this show is unique in a lot of ways, in one way, because it is filmed within that two-year time period before 9-11. And... Before 9-11, I think America was kind of at sort of a standstill. There were things about America that was growing in a positive way, but there was also a lot of negativity. But believe, but but before the entire terrorism thing came, it was like 99. So it's at the break of the new millennium and speculation of that gets put into play. So it's a show that incorporates real events and reality. But it also keeps you in the fictional world of The Sopranos. For example, they reference Godfather way too many times. But that's not a bad thing. I just never was a fan of The Godfather. And they also reference Goodfellas. Where Michael Imperioli, who plays Christopher Montesante, was in that movie. And it goes as far as... In season one, the character, Christopher Montesante, played by Michael Imperioli, he goes into a bakery and there's a guy behind a counter who seems to not be paying attention to his presence there. And in the show, he is trying to find, and I think that's his whole character in the show. He wants his arc. What is his arc? What is going to make him? Art. And the literal assets, what's going to get him made? Because this is a guy who, similar to how Tony, I think if Tony were to follow Dickie, Christopher's father, then he may have had the same outcome. Not saying that he would be a drug addict or anything, but he would have that rough exterior. Tony, and you can tell this by the many saints. The Mini Saints puts Tony in like a weak position. You know what I mean? Like, like I understand Tony is seen as like the kid on the show, right? But in all actuality, they did sort of a a decent job explaining one character being Dickie Montesante, although we don't know extremely everything about him. 
But how the show hypes him up, they propped him up as this stand-up guy, like a real hitter, a real mafioso guy. So I don't think the people, I don't know, man, just the movie, it always comes back to that fucking movie. Because like I said before in the Mini Saints review that I did, they really couldn't execute much in two hours unless it's a story where the viewers know about Tony. Although Chris was an important character on the show without a doubt because he represented and like I said, this is why the show is brilliant. So, Chris represents what Tony would have been if his father was still alive. Because in the movie, you see that Tony has, in a way, a fascination with Chris's dad. And he sees Chris's dad as the dad that... In a way, he never had. You know what I mean? It's the father he never had around. But keep in mind, they're one and the same. You know. Um, Johnny Soprano. Like, oh, another thing. I love the guy who plays the Punisher. I forgot his name. I know his first name is John. Awesome actor. Everything, everything about him. His intensity. When he, especially in the Punisher, like it's it's a Punisher that a lot of people weren't ready to see, but in a good way. To see him play Tony Soprano's dad would be exciting if they illustrated more about him. See, there's things in the show that really aren't explained. And I think if they wanted to, they can go through the narratives like, all right, what led... What led uh, Johnny Soprano to his untimely demise? There can be a story about that. A lot of people, super fans like myself, we want to see how Tony became Tony. We see what led Tony to become Tony, but we don't really, we're not really privy to the journey. We don't see the step by step. And I think a lot of fans want to see it because. You have a show, right? It's kind of like what they did with El Camino with the Breaking Bad series where you take a character who Jesse who Jesse is an important role in Breaking Bad, but they've made something entirely surrounding him. But they reference uh, Walter White because he died in that laboratory. And in return, ultimately sacrificing himself, making the ultimate sacrifice for Jesse, somebody he he views as a father. So you have this mentorship. I'm going to connect the dots where in the show, Christopher is actually seen in a lot of ways as the chosen one, Christopher. Right. And his last name, I'm going to break this down because a lot of people don't know this. Um, Italian uh, Montesante means many of saints. So, if people are wondering where did the many of saints come from and many saints of Nork, it's actually Montesante Nork. <laughs> That's pretty much what it breaks down to. Um, he's seen as the chosen one, right? 
Chris, I mean, Tony wants him. He chooses him to really run things, or that's his thought or his process. And it's supposed to, in my opinion, there's a connection to Christ, Christopher, the chosen one, Christ, and his story in a lot of ways of trying to redeem his character. He makes a decision. He does a hit for Tony, his cousin, although a lot of people refer to him as his nephew. But then later on, you find out the story of that, which is more confusing. Um, he does a hit for Tony. And he thinks that by him doing the hit, he would be welcomed into the family with open arms. But he finds out that that's not all it takes and he's going to have to do more. But he's already haunted by the past. He is essentially already haunted by the decision. And in the show, there's a point similar to young Tony Soprano who gets to a point where it's like, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to play football. You have the negative reinforcement of Junior. You've never had the makings of a varsity athlete. You have the mother who gives doubt into Tony every once in a while. And these people, in a way, keep Tony in the position that he's in to become who he became. With Christopher's experience, it's Christopher slowly trying to break away from the decision that he's made to be one of the family. But he's already one of the family by Tony's association or by Tony's uh, blood affiliation but he wants to do films but more importantly he wants to do a mob film from his experiences and really the experiences that he's seen and heard about right Tony immediately gets angry right and he's not just angry because of his decision to want to do movies, but his decision to illustrate the things that they do or possibly the things that they've done in the past on film. Then I think somewhere along the line, Tony later on, I think this is like season three, maybe four. He tells him, hey, you got two decisions. You can choose the life that you have now, or you can go for the movies, but you can't have both. So he's like, you take 10 minutes, you take the time necessary to make that decision, because I won't give you this option again. And Tony leaves and goes into the house. Christopher sits in front of the house, and he's contemplating. And there's a scene at the end of that episode where he gets up and you get by the look of his face you you kind of think that he's just going to walk away from the house but he gets up he stands up fixes his coat turns around and walks back into the house which in a lot of ways he sealed his fate there's a lot of symbolism on this show um i didn't know this but i guess i should have gotten a clue that um forgot this guy uh david chase sorry david chase is actually a huge fan of david lynch david lynch the creator of twin peaks one of my other 
favorite shows, but for a lot of other reasons. Um, so there's a lot of scenes. There's like dream sequences that sort of seem out of place. But once you look into it or sometimes you have to watch the episode or an entire series over again to understand you clearly see there's a huge influence with David Chase to David Lynch. And it's a good thing. Um, there's a part where Christopher is being made. Now, keep in mind his story. And if you paid attention to what he was talking about, his arc is actually him getting made because this is the thing that he wanted. This is what he's this is what he's dreamed about getting that position being well known like his father and in a lot of ways both Tony and Christopher are trying to live up to their father's uh, footsteps they're trying to fit into their father's shoes Tony being a little bit more successful but not too successful you see he has a nice house but in a sense he lives in utter chaos every time and I think season five and season six a lot of people who've analyzed the show will say that it comes to the point in the series where death becomes a theme and it even becomes a character and with Christopher being made his arc his true arc there's a bird whether it's a crow or a raven that's supposed to symbolize death and I think that's a powerful scene in the show because in his eyes that's what it represents so whether I'm whether I believe it or not that's how he looked at it he looked at it as a omen a decision that he shouldn't have made and a symbolism of in a lot of ways uh, foreshadowing because the person who actually takes his life happens to be his own cousin aka uncle Tony Soprano living up to the father's footsteps a big part of Tony Soprano's um, anxiety attacks stem not only from his mother but the position of where his father is at he sees his father rough up a guy Right, and they show him having a flashback of this happening, and the fact that the fact is that didn't traumatize him. A lot of people would say, "Well, that that was the point right there when he was traumatized," and in a lot of ways, they say that his mind was altered to believe that doing that is constructive. No, it's not the case. The thing that caused the anxiety attacks for Tony was the position where he knew that his father was a well-known person. He knew that his father had the ruthless reputation, but he also knew, or at least in his mind, believed that one day he will be held to that responsibility. And it deals with a lot of the issues of family and parents. Uh, if you grow up in a certain environment, or if you grow up in a certain household that consists of, you know, doctors and lawyers and shit, right? Then you actually 
will be pressured in a sense, whether subconsciously or, or otherwise, to live up to your parents' success. A lot of this will come from uh, the parenting, right? And the show, in a lot of ways, shows bad parents, right? <laughs> um, Johnny Soprano is not a bad parent because he's a part of he's a part of the family. He's a bad plant. He's a bad parent because he's not around. See, the one thing about Tony in the show is he's there for his family. Now, of course, you know the usual uh, goomba rules of engagement. You got broads on the side, you gumar, but he keeps. I would his. I wouldn't say he's. He's committed to his wife in a lot of ways, where he's a provider. He's a in a lot of ways he's a sole provider, because Carmela, the wife of Tony Soprano, played by Edie Falco, who by the way, I mean. There's good actresses, and then there's Edie Falco. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like there's good actresses, and then there's. <coughs> great actresses and Edie Falco without a doubt is that woman right she she's subtle with her hypocrisies but she's still a hypocrite she's still a hypocrite and I think it all comes down to the money you produce what can you bring to the table? Well, if you can bring this much, this much money, this size house, this car, um, this coat, then maybe I'll just turn the other cheek about what you do for a living or the possibility that you're sleeping around. So... Family and dysfunction within families is another theme in The Sopranos. As you see, Tony's family began to fall by the wayside, whether it's AJ and his suicide attempt, right? Or it's the very, very close to being divorced couple being Tony and Carmela. <clears throat> You see the similar theme with Tony's crime family, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of shit with this show that I'm going to get into. This is here, there, everywhere right now because I guess this would kind of... This this is like my pilot. I want to see if this is something that I can fully go along with doing going forward. Not every day, but a good... Two, three times a week, I think I'll have uh, some dis uh, discussions or uh, a break, a breakdown, or should I say a breakthrough of The Sopranos. On this particular episode, we're nearly 30 minutes deep. I want to talk about the fascination of two episodes, just two. And we're not even going to get too deep into scene by scene because I, I really don't have the time for it. We're, we are just going to talk about, oh, uh, fuck, episode five from season one, 
called College. And I believe uh, season two's episode, I forgot the number, University. An episode called College and an episode called University. College is the season five episode. It's actually the episode where David Chase himself personally believed that no one would like to show once they saw Tony Soprano kill the informant. But he doesn't understand that we as viewers have been making bad guys good guys for decades. You know, people follow Tony Montana's quest, Rags to Riches, as Scarface. And we've watched him rise, and then we've certainly watched him fall. But that's not, in particular, what I'm talking about in these episodes. In fact, it's not even necessarily the killings or the mob shit that I'm talking about. It is the relationship that Tony Soprano has with his daughter, Meadow. Okay? Also, there's another episode entitled Meadowlands. And what's funny about if you're if you're a fan of words like me, if you if you name the fourth episode and the fifth episode, it makes sense because Meadowlands College. Right? When ducks fly away, what do they do when they return? They land, they land somewhere. They land on water. This goes back to Tony's anxiety attacks of him losing his family. So these episodes that I'm gonna talk about especially college, this episode going forward, is really Tony's fear, but him understanding that in a lot of ways, he is grateful that she's doing what she's doing. And she's not necessarily following her mother's footsteps. Now, there's a couple things that I want to mention about the show. There's a lot of guys or a lot of people who reviewed the show will just say, oh, Tony's, you know, uh, sociopathic. And, yeah, he has tendencies, uh, very antisocial tendencies. But he definitely cares about his family, cares about Meadow, and cares about AJ. Now, what's fucked up is he cares about Meadow a little bit more because he sees that Meadow has the better opportunity to get away from everything. The crime and all of the, the shit that Tony may feel guilty in involving the family, in, right? Now, when Tony sees AJ, it's different because AJ is the black sheep. AJ is the fuck up. He is the anti-personality. He is the black cloud. He is the black hole. A lot of people hate AJ, <laughs> I think it was like the most hated characters were like Carmela, AJ. Janice is definitely up there. And we'll get into, I think for me going forward, it would only make sense for me to talk about the characters and what they became rather than the scenes that everybody is aware of and some people aren't. I'll just go in detail to their character and who they are and how they've reacted in certain situations on the show. But here we're going into Tony Soprano's relationship with Meadow. Okay? Season one, which is like the... Like, I've mentioned this a thousand times, but the reason why the show 
works out the way that it does today. When you see season one, you were kind of reminded of the past in a lot of ways. You know, you hear a lot of the music in the background. You see a lot of the fashion, a lot of the references. They talked about the O.J. Simpson trial, which was a big deal at that time. Even when 9-11 took place, they mentioned that a lot. There is sort of this, like I mentioned, the connection of reality with the fiction world, the fictional world of The Sopranos. Tony and Meadow, Tony's more connected to Meadow than he is connected to Carmella. You understand? She understands Tony in a lot of ways more than Carmella. When Tony is lying, they always pan the camera to Meadow, and she always has a little smirk on her face because she knows when her father's lying. Now, in the college episode, there is a lot of things going on outside of Tony going to the colleges with Meadow, and I think they went to Maine. They go into a gas station. Tony gets out of his car. He goes to use the phone. He hits up his Gumar first. She on some bullshit, so he's like, fuck that. I'm going to hit up um, my wife, right? And so he hits up the Gumar first. She starts bullshitting. She goes, all right, I'm going to hit up the wife. Calls the wife. Has a conversation about everything and whatever. He sees a car. Or he sees somebody in the car. Or who gets out of the car or going in. I forgot. And he's like, wait a minute. That guy looks familiar. Then he realizes it's a rat. You know what I mean? it's It was an informant that apparently put a lot of the associates that he knew away. So he decides, fuck it. I got to go. Grabs Meadow. Meadow goes into the car. It becomes this awkward um, chase scene, right? <laughs> it's like a chase scene with no music. Like The chase scene is funny because it's not supposed to happen. And I think that's the brilliance of the scene. You don't hear any generic action music when he's driving fast or nothing like that. You hear Meadow freaking the fuck out, asking a thousand questions. And Tony just driving, swerving through cars, switching lanes erratically and he loses him or he decides to turn it off because they were going into Colby College in Maine and they make the turn they go into the hotel and there's that okay they establish the they establish I think the tensed setting of that particular scene and that he knows for a fact that that's him and because he chased him he knows that tony knows that that's him okay so now it's this quick skirmish if you will of who's gonna get who first you have the guy who actually ran across tony why tony was bringing meadow who was with i guess people from the college that he left she, she ends up getting drunk, blasted. He takes her back to the hotel and puts her to bed to make sure, you know, she's fine and shit. And the guy, the informant, pops back up with the gun and nearly killed him. 
But because Meadow was there, he didn't do it. Now, Meadow's character, and I, I quickly broke down Christopher's character, in my opinion, right? How he's a person who decided to try to live in his father's footsteps, and it cost him major consequences. With Meadow, she actually plays the angel. She plays not the angel of innocence, but the angel of purity, the angel of honesty. She's very honest with Tony. That's the relationship that he has with her that he doesn't have with his wife, Carmela. And Carmela actually on the show has sort of a jealousy to Meadow in a lot of ways because Meadow is be, was beginning to find herself and what she wanted to do. And Carmela, pretty much a glorified mob wife who kind of just sat back and got money, did a lot of errands for the house, did a lot of cooking and cleaning. She's, in a traditional sense, she's the homebody. She's the housemaker. She's the one who takes care of everything. And in a traditional sense, that would be acceptable. In fact, a lot of men would rather have a woman like that than a woman who's from the streets who you got to tame like a wild lion. But that's red pill related. So going further into the episode, we're dealing with Meadow. She plays as the guardian angel for Tony. She actually prevents a lot of bad shit from happening to Tony without even knowing, right? And at the end of this all, right, the guy, the informant, tries to get Tony bumped off. But he hires, like, two junkies, and they're not even beat. Like, yeah, we don't even fuck with you like that. You on your own. So he's like, all right, fuck you guys. He goes out back. He thinks everything is cool. There's also another theme that I want to mention quickly. The animalistic nature of Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano is referenced as a bear. In fact, the bear that comes into Tony's uh, backyard and tries to go through shit and fuck up the backyard, that's actually in the show, I think, David Chase's representation of Tony's presence always being there. And with his stature and how he looks, he resembles a bear in a lot of ways, right? He's a heavy, burly guy. He's slow and methodic, but he's, he can also snap and be very quick, very agile at, any, at, at, at times when necessary. And that's sort of the representation of Tony. But as this informant is looking at a deer, he's fascinated with a deer. He's distracted, completely distracted, not paying attention to his surroundings. Tony pops up with a fucking cord, strangles this nigga. <laughs> It's actually, if you think about it, and I don't want to think about like like killings and shit, but we are talking about a show. To strangle somebody or to be strangled has to probably be the worst way to go. Because you have somebody literally with your life in their hands. And they're just squeezing the life out of you. Right? It's a very personal death <coughs> it's a very personal assault to be choked <coughs> somebody with their force and power over your life force 
and that thought of your life slowly draining, your air supply permanently being blocked until your demise. Similar to drowning. In other words, to choke somebody or strangle somebody with anything, it's a very personal death. It's a personal killing. Similar to what people talk about with knives. You can shoot somebody from half a block away, right? But to stab somebody, to be up close and personal and stick a blade through somebody, that's different. It's more personal. You know what I mean? Um, so in a lot of ways, that death scene was seen as a big moment in television because keep in mind, The Sopranos came out in 1999 or 98. End of 98, beginning of 99. And uh, to me, it just, it, it added more depth into the character, Tony Soprano. It added more depth. <clears throat> instead of your typical guy, instead of like an analyze this where, hey, a mafia goes into a psychiatrist, it's like a joke. It's like it's like a beginning of a joke, right? Like, so a mafia goes into a psychiatrist, right? Like, so it adds more layers to who Tony is. Like, yo, all right, now the audience and the viewers know, all right, Tony is a killer, like he's not just a mafia guy who talks about killing and doesn't do it. He's a killer. A lot of people believe, and since I was such a fan of a lot of the documentaries about the five families and the mob, that everybody who was a part of or associated to the family killed somebody. And that really wasn't the case. There was a lot of people making making hundreds and thousands of dollars without even, without even putting a finger on anyone. Guys who are in racketeering. So it it breaks down to now you see Tony for a more, like I said, animalistic type of guy. Kills the informant. Very brutal. And going forward, the tone of the show changes, right? Because beforehand, you just know about Tony Soprano. Does anybody get clipped before that? Besides a meal or email, whatever his fucking name is, the uh, Polak, Slavic Polak, whatever the fuck, you know, Chris, Chris whacked him in the beginning. You know, what I mean, he whacked him. And actually, it, it plays back to later on in the show where Chris comes out with the Cleaver movie. The Cleaver thing is from the scene where he kills a guy and the Cleaver is right next to him. And he notices the blood on the cleaver. So that image, I guess, stuck with him. So people being traumatized, like, okay, psychological, emotional, psychiatry, uh, psychiatrist, uh, psychological issues, behavioral issues, uh, family issues, issues within the country. Um, this show has everything, okay? Anyway, very important scene after he kills this guy. Right. It shows uh, like a large, a far view. So the camera's all the way back. And as he's just cleaning himself off, he looks up at the air and he sees a family of ducks fly. A lot of people don't pay attention to this shit. I'm such a Twin Peaks fan. So when David Chase said he was a David Lynch fan, 
I already knew his work was a match made in heaven for me because now you're mixing the crime aspect or just the organized crime aspect with the supernatural metaphysical nature. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a bit biased, right? So I think David Chase and David Lynch, two of my favorite people in film, there's a lot more people, but they are up top. They're up the top of that list. Um, the Ducks, of course, bringing back the representation of family, and he's losing his family. The Ducks flying away, symbolizing the possibility that he what he's doing right now will cause him to lose his family. I don't know if people know this, but being involved in organized crime uh, doesn't really give you a long life expectancy. So in the show, Tony, which states another good uh, theme of the show, is fear. There's the fear of him losing his family. There's a fear of him losing his memory. There's a fear of him getting cancer because his old boss, Jackie Aprile, gets cancer. And his mother, we are supposed to believe, has dementia. And then we're later supposed to believe that Junior has dementia. So now, this fear. And like I've stated with season one, it is completely different when it comes to the visual and how things are filmed, this bright, vibrant, even in the university episode, right? There's a shot in the beginning where Tony's just sitting back and he is taking back uh, the scenery of the college that he's in. It's the first shot of season one, episode five's uh, college, right? And... When you later look into season six, season six being, in reality, it's the last season. There's two parts to this season. And from what I've heard, right, I forgot, I finally have a car with a fucking sunroof, right? Anyway, there's a scene in season six, where Tony is just like sitting at this beach, this resort. Were they at a resort? I don't know where they were at. Um, and the Soprano something. I forgot what the episode name was. But it's one of the biggest, most noticeable episodes when it comes to simply character development. So, you have this. You have these moments in this episode where Tony is going deeper into the depths of his biggest fear losing his family and as much as people don't want to realize it or don't want to admit it I think the final scene represents Tony definitely being killed I I already knew see David Chase has this David Lynch sort of explanation to it. He takes it as it's art. Okay, so the Mer- um, that's why it's called Made in America, right? So the people who are watching this show, they're they're supposedly watching the demise of a certain generation or a certain era. And more importantly, in the first uh, the first scene. Within the first scene, as he's talking to Dr. Melfi, 
he talks about a lot of ways that fear in which the things of the past, you know, the era of his father. And he explains, even though his father was nowhere near as successful Tony was, he lived in a time period where loyalty and this thing of ours was important. There was rules and regulations and people followed them. You know what I mean? And he talks about how today, none of that exists. And he's a part of something major, but he got into it at the very end. And what's crazy about the show is, if you watch, and I just thought about it, if you watch that first scene, right, you would only have to watch the first four minutes of the, of, of the first episode and then go to the final episode before Tony goes into the ice cream shop and made in America and he talks to Junior. Right? What he's saying is true. He's at it. He he got into it at the very end. Now, within the show, you're supposed to not have any sympathy for Tony by the end of the series. Now, season one to even four, a lot of people would say three. Season one to four, in my opinion, is where the viewers see Tony, they know who he is, and he's 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 one in the kind. He's one of a kind because he was the first anti-hero on television at that time, HBO, and then The Wire, and then Oz, and all these other groundbreaking television shows came out as well. But Tony was one of the first, right? Now, when Tony goes through the divorce, you feel sympathy for him. But from my point of view, you feel sympathy for him as a father. As a mafioso, you know, like I said, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the documentaries when it comes to all of those guys. Lucky Luciano, um, Carlo Gambino. Joe, Joe Colombo, a lot of these people, right? But I think there's an expectation that viewers have. Like when you watch mob movies, a lot of people will bring up Goodfellas. But Goodfellas is not a mob movie. I don't know why people say Goodfellas is a mob movie. Henry Hill was a very far but definite associate of the Lucchese family. It's documented. But in the movie Goodfellas, he was seen as a potential boss or a big figure. And and it just wasn't the case. But how films illustrate things, it's really their power. So it's their ability to show you characters that are illustrated in in the film bigger than what they are portrayed in real life. So with The Sopranos, like I said, you get bits and pieces of everything, but it's a very raw cut. It's a very um, straightforward, in-your-face feel to the show. Now, very another very important role or an important uh, scene within the entire series is the interaction that Meadow and Tony had. And once again, this scene 
only last three minutes. And a lot of the scene, most of the scene is actually dead air because it's supposed to be the tension that comes with the question and the response, right? So she asked, <laughs> like straight up, in the most random female fashion, she just asked, are you a part of the mafia? And he's taken back, like, holy shit. And then he tries, he goes on this anti-defamation Italian routine, right? That a lot of them did, you know what I'm saying? But he also just tells her straight up, yeah, I am. But he does it in like a PG fashion. Or should I say a PC fashion? Where he doesn't talk about killing bitches. He doesn't talk about killing people in general. Or like the guy that he just killed. He's talking about it in the business sense. And then there's another reference, more references to the movie Casino with Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone, where he was kind of, he was curious to see how her friends seen him or how his friends, how her friends see the possibility or the speculation of him being a part of the mafia. And she expressed it as, well, it's more like a casino thing where, you know, Sharon Stone, the diamonds, the jewelry. And if you think about the show and you think about Carmella, that's a close representation of what that show represents. Because you have Carmella, like I said, the money, right? The rings, the jewelry, the nice car, the nice house. And you have... And I'm not saying Tony by any means is fucking uh, Rothenstein. What I'm saying is Tony is the representation or he's the product, like in the season finale, Made in America, right? It's the representation that the audience have to those individuals. The anti-heroes, whether people look at Henry Hill as whatever he was besides an informant, a discarazziad, a discraziad. The illustrators are the people who originally had those experiences. You'll rarely hear their story. You'll hear Hollywood's interpretation. Of course, that involves the glorification of drugs, violence, sex, death. And I've always made the comparison with The Sopranos and Breaking Bad where the theme or the the scenery changes throughout the series. Whether it's the locations change or how those locations are filmed. In the first, se- first season, like I said, a lighter atmosphere. A lot of things that were done were done during the daytime. In season six, and as I've mentioned with season five and six, death becomes a theme and then a character on the show. For a lot of those who are fans, like I am, of Sons of Anarchy, you see the woman, the homeless woman, who, and in my mind, is supposed to represent um, uh, Mr. Mayhem, the Reaper. Um, There's a lot of clues that suggest that, but the fascination of the show is that it's never explained. But we see her, we see this angel of death, 
as she's represented. At the end, when uh, Jax Taylor, right, is about to do all of the heinous shit and then end his own life, pretty much. But anyway, death being the theme and being the character and how things were shot, it was very dark, very dim, of uh, a grim sort of a appeal to that final series that really made things more eerie. And I think with the last scene, it wasn't that Tony didn't get killed because even though Tony's a piece of shit, there's a lot of other people that are pieces of shit. Paulie is the luckiest one. And a lot of people believe there's a lot of theories in fact, there's a uh, YouTube channel called Soprano Theories. You guys should check that out. I found it interesting. They go through a lot of the theories and what a lot of people think either happened to Tony Soprano or other people. And one of the theories is Tony was set up by Paulie. Right? That was one of the theories. Then there's this other jackass. He's on uh, YouTube. I forgot his name. He says that the chick that fucked with um, the fucking broad that fucked with AJ at the end was the one who set up Tony to get killed at the end. But we don't know what happens to Tony at the end. And like I said, it's almost a genius way Look at fucking Twin Peaks, for Christ's sakes. Like, once again, the connection of David Chase and David Lynch is is so uh, noticeable. With even the end of Twin Peaks, the first Twin Peaks, not to return, you're left with, uh, I forgot the guy's name, the Kyle dude who plays fucking Agent Cooper lose his mind at the end and people are wondering what the fuck happened but people weren't paying attention to the show and the symbolism and the fact that there were always a double version of people in a lot of ways or the doppelganger this belief that there's a parallel universe where there is a evil you or a different you in a different light I should say and the, the light and dark theme also plays a yeah, Jesus Christ, man. They are pretty fucking similar. All right, so I'm going to say something real quick. And then I'm going to go into university. I'm going to connect college and university. I'm sticking to the script, all right? AJ is stuck on this essay. And this essay is this death, um, this poem about death. I forgot who does it. But it's a well-known poem. It's in here. It's in The Sopranos. It is also in uh, Death Proof, the Quentin Tarantino grindhouse film. Oh, fuck. I forgot the name of it. But Death being mentioned as white. White. Instead of black. A lot of people, when they're used to hearing Death, they're used to a dark black tone. But also the light representation of white or the bright representation of white can resemble light 
And when people die or when people have near-death experiences, they mention, I see, I saw the light. I saw something. But in this case, in The Sopranos, it's not seen as a good thing because we're dealing with uh, bad people in a lot of ways. Evil people, right? Wicked people. So their idea or their possibility of death in theory is hell because it is guilt it is the unknown it is the idea that they've done all these heinous things and at the end there's a possibility that they will face judgment for it now i'm not a religious person i am a spiritual person meaning um the father the son the holy spirit cool any particular names or any arguments about names and religion i don't really give a fuck about you know what I mean? If you're an atheist, fine. I don't really care. I, I'm I'm like a pacifist when it comes to that. I really would rather not debate or go back and forth on the religious or spiritual topic. But on the show, it is also one of those things where it's like, well, what is it after? Or where Tony is in this coma and he's having this dream, he has this question, these two questions. Are, Who am I? Where am I going? And it's supposed to be seen on the surface of Tony as the character and what he is doing and what he's doing to his family and the possibility of losing his family. And it's also seen in the metaphor of his dreams and the comas. We're going to talk about that, I think, next time. Right. We're going to talk about that next time because it's more like this. Once again, this David Lynch like thought of the unknown. What is out there? The coma dream and him waking up and what a lot of people would call purgatory, which would make sense for those who are Catholic or uh, Christians who believe that. And it makes sense because he's stripped of his identity. He is somebody completely different. He, he has the identity. Right. He has the visual or the resemblance of someone he is not. And throughout his time in that particular place, he was judged on what he is or who he looks like rather than who he really is. And he is seen, and I don't want to go too deep. Fuck that. I'm not going to go too deep. The coma dream shit I will do next time. And I will talk about the dream sequences. I'll try to get to every one. There are ones that are short and a lot of people have no fucking idea what the fucking like how many Easter eggs, I should say, are foreshadowing or in those dreams. But they're there, and we're going to go through those. We're going to talk about university now. And we talked about college, and we talked about why Meadows' conversation with Tony about his life and what he really does, and he's actually questions on what he does for a living. And I think that's another fear that he has of his kids truly finding out the heinous things that he does. And the divorce is sort of that expose or a representation of him getting the consequences and repercussions of what he has done in the past. Um, this episode university i believe is season two i forgot which episode it is 
Is it season two? It could be actually season three. You know, it could be season three. But if you look up The Sopranos University, you'll know the episode. And this is a completely different Tony Soprano in a lot of ways. You see in the beginning, he's involved with different women. And you're kind of given that explanation of, well, everybody in that life has women on the side. And it's actually the guys who's seen without the women on the side who are seen as weird. Uh, Johnny Sachs is one of those exceptions where Johnny Sachs is married to this overweight chick, but he treats her better, ironically, than all of the other guys who have wives on the show. For one, he doesn't cheat on his wife. He remains faithful. And he's actually seen as like the level-headed but sneaky he kind of reminds me of like John Gotti in a sense or how John Gotti is explained where he's a mastermind but he's never the person really doing the action but he has the mind to do so and you see Tony Soprano in the light of alright he's a cheating um <laughs> Um, anti-monogamous um, <laughs> type of dude, a misogynist in a lot of ways, chauvinist, uh, chauvinist in a lot of ways. But you also see his relationship with his daughter go from at that time, they were very close, season one's college. In university, she is literally in a university, Right? And the strain, the distance, and the fact that uh, she was fucking around with one of them Ditsuns, one of those Moulinians, even though he's a half a kike. Sorry, Jews. Sorry, blacks. You know, I like to joke around here. I don't care if Jews get offended because y'all can't take shit away from me. Black people, uh, niggas, we say niggas all the time. A lot of niggas don't even know what a Moulinian is, so whatever. But... When Tony finds out that there's a possibility that she's dating a black, Tony's not having it. And I want to express something, right? And I think we should really have this quick discussion before I go deeper. A lot of people would paint Tony Soprano as a racist, right? Well, you know, he didn't want he didn't want um, he didn't want Meadow to date him because he was black. Okay. That that that's I can accept that. Is that racist? Where I know a lot of other I have a lot of black friends and family who wouldn't really be happy if I were going with uh, a woman who's Caucasian. Right? It wouldn't necessarily break down to racism. But it really breaks down to race. That's what it breaks down to. Now, it's not because you feel that your race is dominant. I don't think it has anything to do with that. And I've seen, like I said, so many black families or Hispanic families get mad when they have a daughter who dates a black guy. Or they have a daughter who dates a Puerto Rican chick and they're black. 
it's a cultural it's a cultural thing along with race but it doesn't mean it's racism so because of this i think that's one of the big things meadow becomes very rebellious against tony and in a lot of ways gets involved with this guy noah the uh, half tune because it pisses off the father, right? And I think that is true in a lot of ways. But yeah, she ended up falling for him. You know what I mean? She ended up smashing. If you smash a chick like that, what's her name? Jamie Lynn, Jamie Lynn Singler, I want to say her name is. We'll just call her Jamie. If you smashing a chick like Jamie, you won. You're victorious. And we we got Noah in here. Noah did what niggas would do. I love I love how <laughs> it's realistic. I love how black people are portrayed in The Sopranos. I think Anthony Cumia made this point where you got you got niggas doing the most despicable shit on that show. You got the homeless crackhead bitch. You had the crackheads in the beginning. Where they where they decide to uh they they decide to take over the uh the housing complexes and shit. Oh man. But anyway, we're into uh university. So university is it, it so happens to connect so many things in the show. It connects Tony's relationship to this stripper bitch. I forgot her name, but we're gonna call her the stripper bitch. We got Ralphie. Ralphie's in there. And Ralphie plays like a real. He plays a severe threat to Tony Soprano in a lot of ways. And through the actions of Tony, by him putting his hands on Ralphie, the made man, there becomes a need for Tony to constantly make up. But their good nature or their relationship out of business doesn't exist. All right, so since we're talking about university, we might as well talk about Ralph, right? Ralphie. Ralphie is a piece of shit. He's actually one of the the characters who gets killed where it's like, all right, that he deserved it. You know what I mean? Um, the speculation, we'll talk about Pio Mai and Tony's relationship are... His thoughts on nature and animals. And his resemblance on the show. As the ferocious bear. Um, Ralphie. Is completely opposite of Tony in a lot of ways. Ralphie's not really committed. He's not faithful to any woman. Um, from what I, he has kids, but they're rarely mentioned in the show. I think there was some sort of divorce or something he dealt with. But he's a guy who lingers around. And he comes across Stripper Bitch. As I mentioned, we're going to call her Stripper Bitch because I forgot her name. But she's really a representation of Tony Soprano's daughter, right? And when Tony sees her, 
he doesn't resemble, he doesn't have the connection right away, but he feels a weird connection. And it's not a sexual connection. You know, he may have a, he may acknowledge her as someone who's attractive, but he hasn't put the pieces together. It's like when you see someone who looks familiar and you're like, you're not sure, but it's like you could have swore you saw them before and it's, it's almost like that, right? But at the end, it all comes together, right? And it's explained in a way where the stripper chick gets involved with Ralphie, right? And Ralphie's this terrible guy and she just doesn't understand it. She doesn't realize that she's in danger when with this guy, right? But then she finds out, unfortunately, at the very end, where she gets the the pieces, she gets the complete treatment. You know what I mean? Definitely, definitely got paws put on her and uh, got killed. And at the end, when Ralphie eventually does get killed, he does die for killing the woman. In my opinion, this is my opinion, guys. A lot of people would like to argue and they would like to say that Tony really kills Ralphie for the horse. And yes, the horse plays a big role because Tony's fascination and thoughts on animals. But it goes beyond that and it goes back to this woman. Now, the banana bread or whatever connection is what gets Tony. He sees his daughter on one episode where they're on bad terms, which is university. And I think they have Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. And she comes out and she's carrying this this plate of food. And he looks at her in a weird way and it comes back to that stripper chick offering Tony the bread. Right? In the sense that they both have this or about them that are similar. They have similar ors about them or how they talk are the representation of innocence in a lot of ways being literally stripped away. See what I did there? Now, Meadow, of course, is Tony's daughter and the stripper chick is just a stripper that resembles or reminds him of his daughter, Meadow. But when Ralphie kills the stripper if you notice Tony's reaction Tony's reaction is more irate than what it usually would be given the idea of it was somebody else it was just a woman in general or a stripper that was not her it would probably be a different story and a lot of people would say well Tony is this sociopathic guy who has no empathy and you know, and it's all bullshit because there's people that die and he really takes effect to it. He really feels for their passing. He really feels for the loss, right? And that was one of the big ones. So when Ralphie gets killed at the end, he goes, how could you do that? She was such a beautiful creature. A lot of people would say, of course, he's talking about the horse Piomine, which I'll get into that and I'll get into Tony's gambling and Tony's fascination with death and risk and how it's connected to the ending. 
Um, there's the connection right there, right? You have college, the episode where Meadow is looking at colleges, and you have the episode where university, where she's currently at the university, dealing with the black guy Noah, dealing with the crazy friend or roommate. But you have this connection to both shows. I never did it before, but I might watch those episodes back to back. I might watch college again and then jump on to university and see if I can get the connection. You know what I mean? Where's my lighter at? You know, I was driving for a good period of time. It's 11-11 right now, one hour and 16 minutes. I'm actually having a good fucking time. Still got a good amount of gas in the car, just cruising around in this in this new whip. You know what I mean? Cooning. Riding around. Um, where is my lighter? That's going to be very important. My 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 podcast should have been called Where Is My Lighter? Because, out. It always seems that I leave my lighter places. I lose lighters. Drop lighters. Drop cigarettes. Lose joints. But I got it. I got it. You guys know what time it is. Little pause for the cause. Not too many. Uh, not too many sounds today. Not too many sounds. But for the time being. All right. Got my lighter. There. I might have to check out college and then university after. Um, there is a way, I believe. You can watch key episodes of the show without watching the whole series. Like, say, if you watched the series already and you just wanted to see, like, a couple of episodes or you wanted to see, like, a couple of key por- parts of the show, you could. Um... I do want to get more in detail with something, but I just can't think of what I want to get in detail with. Guess we can get ready to wrap this up in a little bit. Uh, we definitely are going to talk about The Sopranos more. I wanted to talk about those two episodes in general because those are the fascinating ones and those ones can go side by side and be connected in a lot of ways, not just with the title, but the context of what the show is or what the episode is. We'll talk about the many enemies. I think that's what we'll call it. The many enemies of Tony Soprano. (laughs) Hold on. Let me save that. Jesus Christ. Son of a bitch. Uh, Let's see. The many enemies. Of Tony Soprano. Sopranos. I call it Sopranos Sound Off. How about that? We'll call this the Sopranos Sound Off. But the next title is going to be the next topic, I should say, or the next title in general, really, is going to be The Many Enemies of Tony Soprano. <laughs> And I'm going to talk about this because this is one of the things 
that makes the show brilliant is that at any given time, Tony can have like four or five enemies. Or he can have one threat or one guy who's considered a threat and then another person who's not as much as a threat. But there's always something lingering over Tony Soprano. It's the anxiety from his father. It's the depression from his mother. It's the lifestyle of being mafioso, not knowing who's coming, where it's happening. It's it's doubt, not knowing if you're going to be capable of the responsibility when it's time. That, Like I said, one of the themes of Tony's fear coming up as a child was the fact that he may have to do the violent acts that his father does to provide for the family. And more importantly, he will have a woman that will drag any man down the way that Livia does. We didn't talk about Livia. But Livia is actually one of the top enemies <laughs> of the many enemies of Tony Soprano. Of course, I'm going to be referring Ralphie again. That's why I didn't want to get too much in detail with Ralphie. As a matter of fact, let me put this in as the second part of the topic. This is something we can actually do tomorrow. Um, but we're not going to do... We're going to do Tony's Dream... Sequences in coma with uh nah yeah we'll just do that Tony's dream sequences in coma that may be done later on I can talk about the many enemies of Tony Soprano for a fucking week and I'm not going to do that. I still have a, you know, a majority, mostly red pill related podcast. I've talked about my desires to step into more uh, non red pill related. Oh, shit. I dropped my fucking lighter. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. What the fuck? Yeah, I've been talking about going more uh, legit when it comes to regular topics every now and then, along with my personal perspectives as the traditional Red Pill Party podcast. This still is the Red Pill Party podcast. I'm still Jersey Judah. I don't think I said that in the beginning, but I could have. It's a possibility. Besides, we're already an hour and 23 minutes in. So if you didn't hear it, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be going forward with this discussion on The Sopranos for a lot of reasons. I think the prequel didn't really match up to what The Sopranos as a whole was. And I think a lot of people forget that if it wasn't for a good show like The Sopranos, it wouldn't be a failed attempt to relive or to get the old fans back into the theaters and back into the interest of The Sopranos course, James Gandolfini, rest in peace, did just a groundbreaking performance in his character being Tony Soprano. And that, along with Michael Gandolfini, the son, uh, being Tony Soprano going forward, 
I think people like myself, I got excited. You know, I got uh, goosebumps when I seen the resemblance. When I saw the resemblance, I got goosebumps. Then I thought, like most people did, like, wow, what if this guy, what if this kid, I should say, have talent, possibly as much or even more talent than his father? And it's a possibility, right? I never thought that it would come to a point where it's like, yo, he's going to play the, he's going to play the, he's, he's going to play Tony Soprano as a kid, the son of James Gandolfini. That was a big hype. A lot of people were expecting to see more about Tony's upcoming than, and it's weird. Like it doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. Like, cause now that I think about it, you didn't even get, you didn't really get a deep story of Dickie. You got a little glimpse of it. You know that he's a killer. He kills his father. He does a lot of heinous shit. But you don't really know. You don't get into detail. You know he's trying to change himself. He's trying to be a better person, this and that. But you don't really get detail on who he is. And with that being said, because of that... I think you have, in a fucked up way, Christopher, the son of Dickie, following the same footsteps and actually getting this, having the same demons, the same consequences, almost the same roadblocks. Both end differently, but they both had the same beginning and the same ending. You know what I mean? And with Tony Soprano... There's one guy that I don't know his name. I have to really gather the information. Like, like, like literally, similar to how I do red pill related shit. I usually have some notes written down, but I've watched this show so many fucking times, guys. I can really just like pick this shit off of my brain. I would rather do the same thing and in the same format where I just gather the information. So I'm gonna check out a lot of the key episodes tonight, and I'm gonna take a lot of the notes that I want to take. To go forward with the future recordings that I'll do. Especially with the many enemies of Tony Soprano. That can break down to three parts. So this will be one big topic tomorrow. I will put a good amount of detail. I just have been grinding. Finally reaping the rewards. Or reaping the benefits of constantly working. Constantly focusing on bettering myself. Not being around negative energy, even though in a lot of ways I'm I'm a negative force as it is. I don't need to be a negative force around other negative forces. So if I'm negative, <laughs> in my mind, if I'm negative to myself and I'm still making a living and I'm not in jail or I'm just not dealing with useless bitches, I'm better off. A lot better off. And I think, like I said, the past, what was it, Friday, Saturday, and technically Sunday, I'm sharing this tonight. So you guys will be getting this Sunday night, maybe? It's 11.22, holy shit. Yeah, you guys, I I may share this late night. Yeah, I'll share this late night. You guys get this at 11.30, um, maybe even 12. Maybe even Monday morning, literally. 
not excited about this week coming up, but it is, and I want to get my soundboard ready, ready, willing, and able. It is my last full final week at the job. Yeah. Last final full week. Meaning, <coughs> meaning I have to go in uh, Monday through Friday, do my usual eight and hit the gate, and then come back on the 25th, which is a Monday, and that will be my final day. After that, it's a done deal. You know what I mean? So, I'm very excited with a lot of things going forward. I'd rather go off of that vibe rather than talk about red pill-related topics. I'm not going to lie to you guys. And I've been thinking about this, right? I've been thinking about this. You know, as I... Um, get more involved with other shit, right? As I get involved with other shit, as I do different activities, as I interact with different people, and I look in adversities and the mindset more of diversity than anything. Where for me... Unlike a lot of other people, I don't mind uh, working with different people. I don't mind working with different people. I don't mind making money with different people. I don't mind, and I think, I think this co- I think this just goes back to how I grew up. Like I never looked at someone's appearance. When it comes to um, nationality or race as a make or break for anything, I don't really give a fuck. I know a lot of niggas I can't stand. Like, that shit doesn't mean nothing to me. And I don't fall for, like, the bullshit. And I don't fall for this uh, liberal propaganda that's constantly put out that tells black people to go against and stand up against white people when the only people who shows the support most of the people that finance these black groups in one time or another were white people so I I never cared about um, dealing with different people right So, like I said, when dealing with adversity, my mind would be more, my mind was, I should say, more centered around diversity. All right. It's in a lot of, in a lot of times, and as an adult, people understand this. It's not about what you do. And a lot of times it's about who you know. You can be the most talented, whatever. You can be the most talented athlete. You can be the most talented entertainer. You can be the most, um, you name it. 
if you don't have networking skills or if you don't have access to people who can potentially invest in you, people who see potential in you and people who can definitely allow you to utilize the system the way that they're going to utilize you any fucking way. That's really, I call it breaking even. It's not breaking bad. It's not breaking good. It's breaking even. Meaning the, the choices we make, and I'm getting more into a personal ending to the podcast, but I think I'm going to do that a lot more. When it comes to the end of your shift, when it comes to the end of your pay period, and you have these people have all your hours counted up, right? They got all your hours, they got all your hours counted up, and your check comes. When you get that check, it's like one of those things where you ask, was this money worth the work? Was this amount of work necessarily fair for the money I receive? Right? And when you come to the conclusion that no, it isn't, all right, then you got to make some adjustments. You don't want to get too comfortable in a situation that you don't, or a job is like a situation. It's a situationship that the employer has with the employee where the employers try to sound like their buddy buddy. They want to sound like they have pool or at the very least, you'll get a modest manager or you'll have modest management what i like to call modest management and that means you got guys who got money like look at elon musk right i think elon musk is a cool nigga you know why because he has a shitload of money but he doesn't give off the impression that he's arrogant i mean he's confident and what he does, he's very confident, but he still has that down to earth exterior where he doesn't have to wear a lot of fancy clothes. He doesn't have to be with this many celebrities, although to watch him smoke a joint, was that a joint or a blunt? I want to say it was a joint to watch him smoke a joint with Joe Rogan was pretty entertaining. You know what I mean? I will say that pretty entertaining, but what I'm trying to say is when you break even, it's reaching a point where it's like, all right, the things that I'm doing, I'm actually getting uh, positive reactions or positive, um, positive interactions from that action. So the logical thing to do is to consistently do what I am already doing. And then I will hopefully reach a point to where I can even exceed that. But even if I stay where I'm currently going financially, I'll be nearly two times better off 
yearly than when I was where I'm at now. So it's a leap for me, but it's also like a risk worth taking. It's like a gamble in which I'm aware of the possibilities, but I'm also aware of the possibilities of staying where I'm currently at. And it's not just staying where I'm currently at when it comes to working. It's staying where I'm at where it comes to the mindset that I have when working. Where I'm currently at, it's just not a good place. It's like metaphorically, it's not a good place. Physically, it's not a good place. And mentally, when I get into this environment, I'm entirely a different person. I'm entire, and I feel that's one of the ways I stayed where I'm at. It's like a survival mechanism. If I stay to myself, if I just go to work, and if I have my headphones, or I get a chance to record 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes in this case, over an hour and 20 minutes, we may go into two hours. You guys deserve this. I don't get a chance to do a lot of long podcasting like I used to because of work. And when I did get a chance to podcast, it was either too fucking windy out. My house has this echo thing where even in this car, I get a little, it's a little echo, but it's almost like better. It almost boosts the sound because in this case, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do going forward with the podcast and the soundboard and adding music. I'm getting back into um, making beats. So I'm going to incorporate a lot of my beats to the future YouTube videos that I'm doing on Renegade Red Pill, the channel Renegade Red Pill. Subscribe. And I also just want to get back to making it, making music because it it became a real passion. It it was never a, a serious passion. It was never something that I looked at to get recognition or fame for. It was just something I love to do. A lot of people and a lot of guys are bitter because they've spent their time trying to get acknowledged and trying to get signed. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people just don't have the talent to do it. I'm not saying I have the talent to be signed. I don't really give a fuck. I don't want a group of people who don't know about me and don't know about my culture and about my life to tell me what life should be under their under their scope or tell me how I should behave in a situation that they've never been in. Right. A lot of these people never been in the real fights, never really had battles, never really had uh, skirmishes. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people never experienced that. So for them to assume you should react in a certain way because of who they are and how they carry themselves. It's like you have the pastors and you have the reverends and you have the rabbis and you have the priests and you have these religious people. And you have, regardless of their their heinous acts that are 
usually addressed nine times out of ten. People will ignore that, right? They will simply ignore that and just go, well, they sort of they sort of sign it off as well, everybody does it. Everybody's a center, right? But you're also criticizing people for mostly not going to your churches, right? Not going to your churches. Oh, I got the... Uh, I'm parking this car. You know, got the, the mirror shit. You know, when you back up, you put it in reverse. The jaw pops up. Little monitor. This is a little nice car here, man. I want to listen back to the podcast, not just to hear the content, but hear how the car runs. Um... I was riding a Jeep, a Jeep Compass, which is a decent car. Not really particularly my favorite, especially when it comes to Jeeps. But it got me from where I needed to go. Gas. Gas is decent, I guess. With the prices and how the prices were. AKA Trump error. And uh the Trump error. Um gas was good. Twenty dollars in a Jeep. If that can pretty much get you to a half tank if you're on the recorder. Um twenty five, thirty, that's like three quarters close to full. Forty forty maximum from close to E is going to get you close to a full tank of gas. Today, or at least in this Ford, I never... Yeah, I did have... My first car was a Ford, now that I think about it. A shitty Ford Taurus. Yep, I remember that car. That was a real piece of shit, man. I think the transmission on that one gave out. I made sure when I got a car this time that it was, it was pretty much ready to roll. Um... No issues. Um, and you know, I'll be riding this shit, man. I had a couple of joy rides this week, and I was actually supposed to spend time, if you guys were paying attention, I was supposed to spend um, most of my time on playing Far Cry 6, which I played a good amount. But I also re-downloaded one of my favorite games, a Mafia game, although it's not Mafia 1 or 2, believe it or not. It's Mafia 3, and that's a good video game. I should talk about that in the future, but I think that'll be down the line. And I may, I, I would actually rather talk about that in particular and a lot of game-related topics for the YouTube channel. And I think I'm going to try to focus. My YouTube channel is going to be... 35% red pill where I talk about a lot of the related issues going on today with the red pill and things of that nature. But I think I'll also focus a lot on video games and shit that most guys like to do play video games and bullshit. Like, you know, when I say bullshit, I mean, small talk. We call it barbershop talk. I don't know what you guys call it, whatever neck of the woods that you reside in. Um, 
Yeah. This was a jam-packed one. We jumped in. We talked about the Sopranos because uh, it's the Sopranos, you know. It's a good fucking show. And more importantly, going forward is going to be one of those things that gets me to step away a little bit from a lot of the red pill topics. Sometimes doing them is very necessary. I've gotten into the thinking man's perspective, AKA the red pill 2014, seven years ago, which is crazy to say seven fucking years. What life became within seven years and how quick Right? I had a terrible breakup. And it's funny because this ex had reached out like three days ago, randomly. And I'm thinking, okay, what's up? And it was worse because they hit me up on Messenger on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I use Facebook to share these podcast episodes. Because it connects on to Anchor. Shout out to y'all. <clears throat> Matter of fact, where's the soundboard at, man? Where's the soundboard at? I gotta give a shout out to Anchor. Gotta give a shout out to Anchor. And Spotify. Give a shout out to both of y'all because besides sharing a lot of my podcast episodes and certain things going on, I usually don't go on Facebook or the people who who are on Facebook, I don't really communicate with them. So I don't have Messenger on my phone. I have a little Chromebook, which I have Messenger on that, but for the most part, I don't have it. So on the weekend, I get a message. Like, who the fuck is messaging me on Facebook? Keep in mind, I had to go on my laptop because, once again, it's not on my phone. This old bitch, right, hit me up asking me how things are going. And I laughed when I got the message because it just brought me back to that time, 2015, where it wasn't when... I was broke and didn't have shit technically because in the beginning, everybody's broke and don't have anything unless they stumble across money. They inherit money. They inherited money or they, you know, did what they had to do to get it. So it just brought me back to 2015. And in 2015, I had the same job dealing with that same bitch dealing with those same problems. And I just laughed. Like I didn't, I didn't say anything bad or negative. I said, yeah, I don't go on Messenger anymore. So I left my number. I was like, yeah, just just text me. <clears throat> anyway, she's telling me about all of her problems. And it, in my head, I'm just laughing because it's like, yo, this is this is a record on repeat. And it was better at that time, at this time than before, because I was definitely I've definitely um, smartened up a lot. When it came to dealing with women from this woman. So everything that I've learned technically. Are the realization where it came to women. And understanding women came from this woman. So she is only in my mind. And this sounds fucked up to say. 
But for the most part, she was only she's only important because of that. Anything personal about her means nothing to me. Comes to find out she has a son now. She had she was with this guy. She was engaged. Then something happened. She became homeless. And apparently she's living on the street. Right? And I guess you're hitting me up for help, for handout, for support, for sympathy. I'm just not, I'm not that person who I was then. And I wanted to say it's because of her that I'm that way. And I don't blame her for that. I actually thank her for that because that made me a smarter more intelligent, um, more of an understanding person when it comes to women. Now I see what most women like yourself, I see how they b- communicate. I see how they behave. I see the double standards and hypocrisies. I see the hypersexuality. I see it all now because of you. But I guess it was like the devil came in all of these blessings come are coming to me through hard work and through keeping a mindset or um keeping a mindset or keeping a level head or keeping faith in what i'm doing and at the prime of that right Getting the new job. Turning 33 on the 26th of September. And starting this new job in the 26th of October. You know, the blessings within that. Getting this car that I'm in. Making progress. The devil comes in. In the form of a woman. The deceiver comes in. The whore of Babylon comes in. The spirit of Jezebel comes in, in a form of a woman, in a form of the of a distraction, something that has caused me to drift throughout a good portion of my life. The thing that I had to fix first along with myself in order to understand what I needed to go forward, the things that I didn't need, the things that I want aren't the things that I need. A lot of it is temptation. A lot of it is lust. It isn't love the way that a lot of people express love. Therefore, my ways and thinking when it comes to love is very cold. I I don't have a what you would call cold approach that the people may think. When you hear cold approach, you hear PUA bullshit and just going up to women and talking. When I talk about I have cold approach, that means I don't care to approach or communicate with most women. I just don't. If they're attractive, then they're attractive. They're attractive women, sure. Are they women attractive enough for me to waste valuable resources, time, and effort in something that is not certain, like life? No. Investing in women is like a gamble. It becomes an addiction because our society tells us as men that we are weak. We're not weak, but we're undesirable if we're not with women. 
if you're not with a woman today, you're undesirable. If you're undesirable, you're the invisible man. The invisible man gets avoided. The invisible man is not acknowledged in the sense of the high value guy, right? Shout out to Cass, Kevin Samuels, all right? But yeah, 11.46, we went in. Is this like two hours yet? It's damn near two hours. One hour, 52 minutes. I think we're going to officially be done with this. 53, well, 54. Um, this has been a long one. Pause. Something that was much needed. Something that I didn't really get a chance or opportunity to do in the past, but I'm doing now. Long podcast, one sitting, The Sopranos, which started off, guys, I tried to do it. A non-red pill related topic. But at the end, I always drop a little red pills here. You know, a little, little here, a little there. You know, and I think I'll still do that even with my decision to do more non-red pill uh, non related uh, discussions. I'm going to drink some of this iced tea. Play video games to about... I say if I can play video games till 2.30 in the morning, I'll be good. Because then I can sleep by 3.00. If I get eight hours of sleep, I can wake up at 11 a.m. and get two hours and 30 minutes to myself, right? Two hours and 30 minutes to myself, go to work, of course, record with you guys. We're going right back into The Sopranos. We're going to dedicate Monday and possibly Tuesday to The Sopranos, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we'll keep it real, and we'll keep it red pill. But this has been an exciting fun podcast this actually has been a fun exciting and uh positive weekend for me especially in this vehicle um i'm gonna be excited to drive this to work for some reason i was driving this car today i drove this car a lot i put a lot of gas in it just because i don't give a shit like all right i'm gonna make sure i can get to where i need to go and not run out of gas and i gotta tell you man this little car it's fun I haven't been into something like a vehicle that was low in a long time. I've been so used to growing up driving Jeeps and shit that finally getting another like a low car, low enough to where it's not dragging, but this car picks up. So, you know, I think I'm done. Not only for this podcast, but for today, I'm already parked up in front of my house. A couple hours, like I said, video games, and then I'm ready. Take it down. Six hours to eight hours of sleep. Wake up. Get ready. Smoke. Probably smoke again. Smoke some more. Prepare for the week. But like I said, man, it's been another day. And as I always like to say, in the meantime and in between time, Jersey Judah, Red Pill Party Podcast. All right. What did I call this shit earlier? The Sopranos sound off continues tomorrow and possibly Tuesday with Red Pill related topics Wednesday, Thursday, and possibly going on to the weekend. But until then, I'm out. Peace.